Good morning. So great to be here with you. I see new faces. So welcome. Susan said there were many uh, last week, as we heard last night. I was at Bible study last night and heard Susan. So uh, welcome to those of you who are new, and I look forward to maybe meeting you, if maybe briefly or maybe another time, if that works out. Um, just be, please be praying for me that I don't fall off the stool, because remember... Oh, sorry. I need to talk louder. Okay, I can project. All right, from my diaphragm. Um, I like to wander teaching normally, but I can't because of the recording, and I'm on a stool because I'm so short. So <laughs> anyway, just to lighten things up before we dig into this serious text. So um, in um, Susan, not Susan. Susan said this last week, but in Nancy Guthrie's interview with Dan Doriani about teaching James, he said, you can't proclaim the gospel enough before you teach this book. So I'm going to start with the gospel. There is a brief hint of it in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. So if you want to turn there or look there, that's where I'm going to start. And I'm reading from my New, um, New American Standard Bible. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. So first of all, we have the word of truth implanted by the Father of lights who does not change. So, the word of truth is something that, of course, James has picked up from, from Jesus. Uh, John tells us in chapter 1, uh, 12 and 13, I think I put that on your outline there, uh, but to all who did receive him, the word, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of, the, not of blood or of the will of flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. And then James is probably drawing here, thinking here back on the parable of the sower, where the sower is sowing seed. And that is found in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and Luke 8. And it's Mark and Luke who tell us that the seed is the word of God being implanted. So this is James's way of saying the Holy Spirit made us alive. And that reminds me also of uh, Brian's sermons, that, well, especially a couple of weeks back, but even he mentioned it again Sunday, that um, uh, it is God who caused us to be born again to a living hope. And so then the father of lights does not change. The father of lights remind us, reminds us that he is the creator of the sun, moon, stars, and the Greek word is wanderers, wanderers, the planets, because they change their place in the, in the sky, in the night sky. Uh, James is likely thinking of Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Scott McKnight, one of the commentators I read, said that James could be saying here 
the messianic community can either trust God's goodness, which never changes in its faithfulness, or be like the stars in their constant fluctuations. And then Dan McCartney in his commentary says, God's light is unchanging. It is not subject to variation, unlike the sun and moon. God's light cannot be overshadowed. Of course, they can be eclipsed, the sun and the moon, right? <clears throat> Nor does it make shifting shadows. And if you recall 1 John, uh, the Apostle John avers that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So God is the steadfast foundation upon whom we are building our individual lives and upon whom God is building his church. Okay, so we start there, knowing that that word has been implanted by God's gracious gift. Before we dig into the chapter, I'm going to flip my outline. I decided to flip two and three since I sent this to Susan. So I'm going to start with the theme of the test throughout Scripture. That will just cement in our heads that it is so old, so much from the very beginning, that it's, it's going to happen. And, of course, we know we experience them anyway, it tests anyway. But looking back to chapter 2 of Genesis, God planted Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden, and then he gave them instructions. Everything I've given you to eat in here, eat freely of, but not from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of it is for you for food except for this one tree. That sounds like a test, right? <clears throat> so God is a good tester. What do we see in chapter 3? A rebellious creature comes in and causes them to waver, to doubt God's word. Question, really, did he say that? You can't eat of, you can't eat of anything of the, oh, no, 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 right? They failed. They failed the test. But God was gracious and promised a, a redeemer, a rescuer, a, a serpent slayer, if you will. And then look at, look at Genesis 4 with me. If you've got your, if you've got your Bibles, look quickly, look quickly there. Genesis 4, we see now what happens with Cain once they've been exiled from the garden. Just look, look, what ha look what happens here. Uh, so it came about in the course, I'm starting in three, in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of, the fat por of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And then look what God says to him. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. There's no mention of sin, you notice, in Genesis 2, but we, we know it's there. But now sin is, seeing, is seen creeping in as a beast. So now we've got the outside tempter and now the inside 
desire that's going to go bad. Then God chooses Abraham, from whom he will build a great nation, from whom the rescuer will come. And Abraham's greatest test, of course, is Genesis 22, where God commands him to offer his son. And it says in there that Abraham passed the test. And then God promises that to fulfill all that he had promised Abraham. So he commits to him. And then, of course, God leads Abraham's family down into Egypt. God leads him, them down there. They're not down there as a result of their sin, right? <coughs> then they become oppressed as slaves. And then God rescues them. So they're tested in slavery to stay faithful to the God of their fathers. And then they are tested in the wilderness. We, we studied that, the Nancy Guthrie book that we did whenever that was a couple of semesters back or something, right? Um, he tests them. Are you going to trust me to deliver you from your enemies? He backs them up against the, against the enemies and the sea. And then he safely delivers them through, and then he tests them in the wilderness with no water, no food. Are you going to trust me? And then we see other examples like Job going through a deep test and passing. Uh, Joseph going through a deep test and passing. So we see that, but other than that, the few examples in the Old Testament, we're left at the end wondering, okay, we, we need somebody who's going to pass this test with flying colors. And then Jesus enters. And when he finally starts his ministry, he's baptized by his cousin. And then the spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tested. And then the tempter comes to try to trap him like he did with Adam and Eve into failing. But Jesus responds faithfully by what? Quoting the word of truth. And he passes the test. And then at the end of his life. Again, the Garden of Gethsemane is a huge test. He's filled with despair and turmoil and anxiety. Lord, take this cup from me. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he passes and he lets them take him. He goes to the cross. He could have called, what, 10,000 angels to rescue him. He doesn't. He stays. Jesus passes the test. So he finally is the human who passes the test, and he did it for us. So that's the theme as the Bible develops, that theme of the test all the way through. But before he died, Jesus promised the disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Right? That's what we are to remember. All right, now, let's dig into this flow. How are we doing? All right. I think y'all probably discovered it seems to be a little, a little tricky to follow the flow, how this, how this kind of fits together. So that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to... We're going to talk about that. Uh, let me go ahead and read the rest of the chapter for us. James, 
a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who were dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness, and let in fa uh, endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because, like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and it, the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So, too, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And I'll stop there. Let me take a sip. Sorry, getting a little bit of a dry throat today. All right. So, first one, James. Susan gave details last week that I'm not going to give today, but I will say a couple things. Um, of course, this is actually Jacob, one of the many Jacobs in the, the Bible. Um, and, you know, very likely the Lord's, the Lord's brother. But I did learn a fun fact recently. I just have, have always assumed this is the Lord's half-brother. That's what everybody says that I have read my whole entire life. But I did not know that the Eastern Orthodox Church, millions of Christians, they believe that Joseph was an older widower and had children, and James was a stepbrother of Jesus. Who knew? So there, there you go. Fun, fun facts. Just other, other Christians believe a little different. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, so the another important thing to remember is this brother who once thought that Jesus was crazy is now equating him with Yahweh of the Old Testament, the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James is one of the individuals that the resurrected Jesus appeared to. And I'm pretty sure it's because Jesus wanted him to be a pillar in the, new, in the new church. All right, the 12 tribes dispersed abroad or in the dispersion. So if you'll recall, 10 of the tribes, now we haven't studied this technically, but if you've you know, been, been uh, in your word for a while, 10 of the tribes were carried off by Assyria in 722 BC. And then they were either some, some of them were exiled, but those that were left were like mixed in with other ethnic groups. That's what the Assyrians did. This, this group that remained probably is what became the Samaritans that the Jews hated. But 
in, in selecting 12 disciples, Jesus was indicating that the 12 tribes would be reunited, right? Judah and Benjamin had been carried off by the Babylonians about 150 years after, right? And so that's where the Jews come from. But now Jesus is saying 12 is going to be a factor again. So this is James's um, reference to all of Israel being scattered among the nations, but some of them had lived in Jerusalem and embraced Jesus as Messiah and been in James's church, but because of the persecution, especially after the stoning of Stephen's that Susan mentioned last week, now people are scattered. So ethnic Israel is scattered among the nations and now those messianic or christian jews are also going going out with paul james now believes that the gentiles were to be grafted into the people of god so that i'm quoting galatians 3:29 if you are christ's then you are abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise so the galatians were gentiles and that definitely then includes us. We are Abraham's offspring, right? And so that is, that is how James is looking at the, the 12 tribes now as a whole people of God. And then this makes this book relevant for us today. All right. So starting into the, the, first, the, the first little section here. Well, let me, let me go quickly about how it, how it kind of flows together. So the, fir the first little section, two through four, is talking about the benefit of trials. And then the next section, five to, five to eight, we're, we're seeing the need for wisdom to get through the trials. Uh, nine through 11 is an example of applying wisdom to your trials. 12 is considered like a transitional Verse, you'll see the linking of uh, trial in 12 goes back to trials in 2. And then blessed is again in verse 25, which we're not going to get to today, but that's uh, an inclusio. That's how we, we see James's section. We see this man shall be blessed in what he does in verse 25. And then... Um, 13, we'll, um, we'll see that um, the first tempted should likely be translated better tested, and then that links 13 and following to the first section. So then you can see then how it flows. And then with 16, do not deceive. He's going to talk about self-deception, and that's kind of an intro to the rest of the chapter where he talks about not being self-deceived. So that's our, that's our flow quickly. All right. So as Susan said last week, these are very poor new Christians. Their new faith is being tested, uh, and this testing will prove the genuineness of their faith, which will help them endure the trial, and lead them into maturity. Will they be faithful? Will they respond with love, justice, and peace, which he's going to go into in the body of the letter? Or will they lash out in angry words and violence against their oppressors? It kind of comes out. You can kind of hear that, that that's probably been happening, or they've, they've at least been tempted 
to do that in the, in the body of the letter. So Scott McKnight again says, uh, James urges the Messianic community to consider their trials an occasion for joy as they look through their trials to the purgative, to their purgative and sanctifying impact. Purgative, purging of sin. The trials are purging the sin and sanctifying them. And again, what James has in mind is, inner, is an inner confidence that permits fidelity to follow Jesus because of one's confidence in the goodness of God, in God's sovereign control of history and eternity, and in one's inner transformation, which wells up into a sense of joyfulness. The word testing uh, is probably something like smelting, like refining gold or silver in a fire to remove impurities. And this also is an Old Testament concept. The remnant will be tested. Endurance or steadfastness involves waiting on God's timing and refers to, I'm quoting uh, George Guthrie here, the ability to hold up under the stress of difficult circumstances with a right spiritual posture. This endurance learned in trials leads to perfection, which we should understand as wholeness or maturity. The Hebrew word described the animals brought to sacrifice. Don't think of it as meaning never making a mistake. James uses it seven times, so obviously it's a key concept to him. He, it, it involves complete devotion to God. And then Guthrie, summing up this little section, says, the path of endurance leads to a place of well-rounded Christian character, a place where we do not lack the necessary equipment for facing the variety of difficulties we are bound to experience in this life. <clears throat> But we're not all mature yet. We're not all there yet. And James is fully aware of this. We haven't reached maturity. We need God's help. As Abraham's seed, we are called to walk in God's ways. Before God came down to tell Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, for I have chosen him, Abraham, this is Yahweh speaking, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So how do we keep the way of the Lord? By asking him for wisdom. All knowledge, understanding, and wisdom comes from him. You can consult the Proverbs for this, especially James is using probably uh, the first nine chapters of, of Proverbs. In chapter three of James, he's going to get into a lengthier description of this wisdom, so we won't do that now, but uh, let me give you a couple of definitions here. Guthrie says, wisdom is an understanding of the ways of God and a readiness to act according <laughs> to his ways an understanding of the ways of God, and a readiness to act according to those ways. Uh, McCartney says, wisdom, generally speaking, is skill at life, particularly the ability to make sound judgments and speak the right words. The wisdom of James 
uh, is not just skill at life, however, but the divinely given ability to live in a godly way and endure testing. All right. Lordy, have mercy. I'm at 23 minutes, so I've got to speed up. There we go. God is the generous giver of all gifts. He gives without approach. That means without insulting or putting down those who come to him with their deficiency. The suppliant must come in faith without any doubting. We must trust God's goodness and generosity. Doubting his goodness is tantamount to casting aspersions on his character. Think of Mary's reaction to Gabriel versus Zechariah's. She got an explanation. He was made mute. Double-minded seems to be a word coined by James, but it's a concept from the Old Testament. It's to be of divided heart. Uh, your allegiances are questionable. Dan Doriani said it's to have one foot, foot in the boat and one foot on the shore. Uh, the Old Testament uses double-tongued, double-faced, or having two hearts. The one who doubts is unstable in all his ways. That refers to actions. The unstable heart leads to foolish living, all out of sync with God's ways. All right, next little section, 9 to 11. The poor are uh, th those who are uh, Christians for James, right? Uh, they should remember that they're exalted in Christ, and it may not be manifest until the future. Uh, but there's no need for bitterness and envy now, right? The rich commentators are divided over whether these are faithful, wealthy believers or unbelieving rich. In the west of the in the rest of the letter, rich seems to refer to unbelievers. So uh, that probably seems more likely. Of course, the wealthy person and riches will fade away. Only the heavenly riches bestowed will last. All right, next, next section there. If we endure to the end, verse 12 says, walking faithfully, not perfectly, remember, in God's ways, we will receive the crown that is life. The crown is probably like the wreaths uh, placed on the heads of military victors or athletic winners. And this life is eternal life, an abundant quality of life lived in God's presence. So then I said earlier that in verse uh, 14, that first tempted, I don't remember if the ESV says that, should, probably should be tested. Test, if anyone is tested, let him not say he's being tempted by God. And he gives a very thorough uh, explanation there. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. So think of Adam and Eve being <coughs> tested by God, and then Cain being tempted by the evil realm. James is aware that the devil does seek to tempt us and lead us astray, but he's not going to address that until chapter 5, so we won't. Do it. All right. That was a, that was a race through there. I, I hoped that I hope that helped. Couple of couple of takeaways. A, a, a major takeaway for me was this: we are in training to be like Jesus and to rule with Him. Luke six forty says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
In Revelation 3, 21, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, the one who conquers, who endures, who is steadfast, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. By the power of the spirit within, we simply must keep our eyes on Jesus and eagerly await his return and the restoration of all things in order to endure to maturity. We must look through our trials to see God's purpose in maturing us so that we will be ready to spend eternity with him in his presence. And we need each other to do this well. All right, I have on your outline a little covenant that I heard Sinclair Ferguson give in his new podcast, Things Unseen. I won't read it now. I leave it for you uh, to read. It's, it's, it's wonderful. <coughs> and then, if you will indulge me, I would like to sing a song that we sang, a hymn that we sang on Sunday. I, it was on my heart before Sunday, and I reached out to Maggie and asked her if she would play for us. And then I walked in on Sunday to the church, and the music team was practicing it, and I was like, and then uh, Scott Sauls, who is a pastor and, and author of Beautiful People, Don't Just Happen, which I highly commend to you, mentioned it in my reading during this week. So I'd like to sing it. I don't do feelings well. I don't feel feelings well. But when I sing, I feel them. So I thought this hymn would help me feel what James's intention was and helping us to feel the intent, the good intent of our Father for our trials. So I am stopping you because I don't want anybody to hear me sing. Mm -hmm.